Today on Understanding Immigration, voter fraud. It's a crime punishable for up to one year in prison for any alien, and that, that includes people that are here lawfully. Uh, that includes green card holders. They cannot vote in elections uh, for them to vote in a federal election. These are big enough numbers to throw some close contests. Look at the states that are actively passing legislation to hand out driver's licenses to illegal aliens. We have more than 15 states plus D.C. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. This is Spencer Raley, FAIR's Director of Research, and I'm joined as always by Preston Hennekins from our lobbying department and Matthew Tregesser from our media team. We have another relevant and extremely important topic to address today, non-citizen voter fraud. But before we examine this program, let's all briefly discuss some of the recent immigration news headlines that occurred over the last week or so. First off, we just found out that the Department of Homeland Security announced that they're working on a new rule that would expand the collection of biometric information to confirm the identities of potential migrants. The new info collected, I believe, would include eye scans, voice patterns, and or facial recognition, and other things that would verify that a migrant, you know, basically is who they say they are. Now, personally, I, I'm a huge fan of this. I think it would help stem identity fraud. Uh, it would, and there have been, you know, thousands of instances where illegal immigrants along the southern border would claim children that were th with them that were not actually theirs so that they could you know, be released into the country faster than if you know, they were coming in alone. And this um, e expansion of biometric entry exit, that could help that. That could also help stem visa overstays and things like that. So Matthew and Preston, what are your thoughts on this story? Yeah, so I think this was definitely an appropriate and necessary measure, um, as you said, there have been thousands of instances at the southern border where you might have a gang member, a, a criminal member, um, a human trafficker pose as a parent or a guardian of a child. And then they try to use this to get easier access into the country. And this is largely due to asylum loopholes in our asylum system. And so basically, especially in 2019, if you had a child in tow with you, you were immediately apprehended and then released into the interior of the country and rarely ever seen again. Um, so I'm glad that DHS is doing this. Obviously, it's received a lot of opposition from open borders advocates. But in 2019, in, in June, DHS actually did a similar uh, pilot program where they connected DNA swabs of people being apprehended at the, at the uh, southern border. And they determined in just uh, a couple of days that 24, they had 24 cases where people were not who they said they were. And again, it shows the effectiveness of a program like this. It's not going to be something that's going to violate the health and well-being of migrants. It's a very simple process. And again, this is to ensure that we keep integrity in our asylum system and also to ensure and protect the well-being of, of migrants, uh, women, young children, and make sure that, that they're not being human trafficked across the southern border. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just add real quick that biometric entry exits already mandated in law. Uh, you can find it in 8 U.S. Code 1365B. You know, but the issue here is that even though it's in law and it's an established part of the immigration system, it's never really been expanded to where we need it to be. Um, Congress has never really had the political courage to go through on implementing it uh, at the border. And, um, you know, anything that DHS is able to do to expand it and, and to make it 
you know, more a part of everyday life within our immigration system um, is a step in the right direction. Yeah, not surprising groups like the ACLU already coming out and condemning this, even though, like you mentioned, this is, you know, much of this has already been codified in law for a long time now. Another story in the news right now comes out of New Jersey, where Governor Phil Murphy signed legislation that allows for illegal aliens in the state to obtain professional and occupational licenses. Now, this is obviously a huge incentive for more illegal aliens to flock into the state, but Preston and Matthew, what are the broader consequences of measures like this? I think the biggest consequence of this is that other states are now going to follow through on this, um, for instance, we can we can expect probably that you know New York, California, Oregon, Washington, other states that you know have a similar sympathy for illegal aliens are going to try and pursue this, and this could become you know this particular action could become as big as the sanctuary state and sanctuary city movement um, among more you know far left open borders uh, politicians. And I just think that this is an incredibly reckless and irresponsible move by the politicians in New Jersey. I mean, the state's already facing huge revenue deficits. Illegal immigration costs the state $4.5 billion annually. You have uh, 1.3 million unemployed residents in New Jersey looking for jobs, um, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's just, as, as Preston said, this is going to be part of a disturbing trend where other states are going to follow suit and you know, I've seen that uh, at least nine other states have adopted some type of law or legislation to ensure illegal aliens have better working opportunities in a state. So I, it's a head scratching move. Um, and I just think that they're not taking care of the residents of their state who are legal immigrants and who are U.S. citizens. And another uh, one, one final thing I want to point out is also that this is going to affect a, a really interesting segment of American workers which are skilled blue collar workers. So electricians, uh, car, you know, professional carpenters, um, people like that who, you know, you do have to, you have to get a certification to, to practice your trade. And now that that requirement is no longer uh, on the books in New Jersey, or it's not going to be once, once this law is in place, um, that really affects their, um, their pocketbooks. And so it's going to be interesting to see how those groups um, and particularly how how some of those trade unions react to this move and kind of the downstream consequences of it. Yeah. And of course, a lot of these unions have been very, you know, they've been very cautious to even approach issues like this just out of fear of what some of their political allies might say. You know, just piggybacking off of what you, you had mentioned, Matthew, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of people in New Jersey right now who are looking for work. And it's really just sickening that you know, the politicians and the officials in charge in New Jersey would think, hey, what's the most important thing that we address right now? Oh, it's giving opportunities to illegal aliens who aren't even supposed to be in this country over the many thousands of not just U.S. citizens, but also lawful migrants that are in the state who are desperately looking for gainful employment right now. So I don't know, that just that just boggles my mind. All right, y'all, that's Great stuff. That's some story. That's a couple of stories that are in the news right now. Let's go ahead and dive into our topic of the day, non-citizen voting. You know, obviously this is a very relevant issue right now with the 2020 election just right around the corner. So Preston, I want to go ahead and kick it right back to you. Uh, who is allowed to vote in U.S. elections, especially federal elections? And what is the history of our voting laws? 
Right. So, and this is a very important distinction, is that only U.S. citizens can vote in federal elections. And to my knowledge, only U.S. citizens can vote in statewide elections. There are a few jurisdictions at the local level that allow non-citizens to vote. Um, I believe Montgomery County, Maryland is one of them, and they caught a lot of flack for this. Uh, and I believe College Park, Maryland did something similar, or at least proposed something similar. But, you know, the elections that send representatives, senators, uh, and presidents to office are only open to U.S. citizens. Now, this hasn't always been the case. Um, you know, prior to about the 20th century, you know, especially when America was expanding westward and when we were filling territories, you know, there were, there were broad incentives to get people to move west. Um, one of those was that you didn't have to be an American citizen to vote if you owned over 50 acres of land and if you had lived in the territory or the state for two years. Uh, and you also had to de declare that you wanted to become a U.S. citizen. So in our history, non-citizens have voted in federal elections, but that, that largely went away by the turn of the century. Um, and pretty much, you know, all of um, U.S. Code 18 discusses how we regulate elections and what crimes there are um, for people who vote that aren't U.S. citizens. So, for instance, uh, 18 U.S. Code 611 says that it's, it's a crime uh, punishable for up to one year in prison for any alien. And that that includes people that are here lawfully. Uh, that includes green card holders. They cannot vote in elections. Uh, for them to vote in a federal election. Um, 8 U.S. Code, or excuse me, 18 U.S. Code 1227 says that any alien who has voted in violation of any federal, state, or local constitutional provision, statute, ordinance, or regulation is deportable. And that's actually been an interesting aspect of these jurisdictions that have allowed um, local, you know, local elections um, for, for illegal aliens to participate in them. That's been a very interesting legal question uh, that, to my knowledge, hasn't been challenged in the courts yet. Uh, and so, you know, when we're getting into the into the you know uh, the pros and cons of voter ID, um, you know, a lot of states ha have already gone ahead and done this, um, but it's not required by the federal government. The federal government does not require that you produce um, personal identification for national elections. Um, and this has become a very interesting political debate, uh, because a lot of people have said that uh, voter ID, you know, voter ID requirements, uh, it disenfranchises minorities, it disenfranchises the poor, uh, and some of these other groups. Um, but to counter that, uh, there have been a lot of groups that point out correctly that you need an ID for so many things in this country. You need an ID to buy liquor and tobacco. Uh, for federal welfare programs, you need to produce an ID, uh, and that includes food stamps. Uh, to visit a casino, you have to have a, an identification. So, it, it you know, voter ID, and particularly when you're talking about illegal aliens voting, or even people with green cards voting, or people that are here legally uh, on a non-immigrant visa who have been here for 10 plus years voting, you know, I think voter ID ensures that our elections are secure it's something that both Democrats and Republicans claim to agree on. Um, and it's just one of those things that I think makes very common sense to make sure that non-citizens are not voting in federal elections. Um, and I think, Matthew, you can probably talk about, you know, some of the, the more 
uh, famous cases of where this has happened, where non-citizens have voted and there's been, you know, widespread uh, voter fraud from non-citizens. Right. So I, I've analyzed numerous articles regarding non-citizen voting um, from the past few years. And I found many scenarios where state and local elections especially had some form of non-citizen voting or registration occurring. Um, in Pennsylvania, for instance, between the year 2000 and 2017, Pennsylvania officials estimated uh, 544 votes were casted by non-citizens. In California, uh, in the fall of 2019, Secretary of State Alex Padilla, he said that 1,500 individuals, including non-citizens, have been mistakenly registered um, in the state's new voter uh, registration law. Uh, similarly, in West Virginia, uh, General Counsel for Secretary of State Donald Kersey said he was really concerned about non-citizen voting because in West Virginia, where a lot of local elections are decided by a few dozen votes, I mean, that's putting a lot of power into other people's hands. And again, another state here I have is Illinois. Um, recently, they also began a new automatic voter registration system, and it led to 545 non-U.S. citizens being registered to vote. So obviously, that's a problem. It's rampant across the country in different states of different sizes. And so there are a few problems at hand here. The first is, you know, these numbers may seem small to some people, but these are only the individuals that are being caught. No one really knows the true number. And, and, you know, I think a great comparison to this is when you're determining how many people cross the southern border illegally on a daily or monthly basis. We have estimates based on how many people we capture or apprehend, but we don't really know how many people are evading immigration authorities. So it's very, very possible that, that the number of non-citizens vo voting is much higher than the media reports it to be. And then as the West Virginia uh, General Counsel uh, Donald Kersey said, he said that in West Virginia, especially these local elections are being diminished by non-citizens voting. And so it's important that we prevent non-citizens from, from voting, especially in these local and state elections, because they're only determined by a marginal amount of votes. And sometimes it just takes a few dozen or a few hundred people to dictate uh, the results of an election. And so now you have mayors and other high profile political positions uh, making public policy when they shouldn't be there in the first place. And then, I, I, you know, the third point I like to make with, about all this, too, is, you know, when, when you have non-citizens voting, it doesn't really give um, the public much confidence in our electoral system. You know, we're a modern country, we're a democracy, we're highly developed. You know, voting in our election should be something that is completely almost air free. And it's not. We're not seeing that right now. Um, so, as I said, you know, this is happening all across the country, and there really hasn't been much efforts to mitigate or reduce this fraud. I mean, it, it just continues to be exacerbated by little to no immigration enforcement, open border states like California and New York. I mean, I, I just don't see without more action how this is going to stop. And, you know, we have this general election coming up November 3rd between Trump and Biden. And, you know, that's going to be a highly contested election that's going to have it's going to be uh, an election probably decided by a very small amount of votes. And, you know, it's important that we address this issue now. Yeah. And I want to go back to your point there, Matthew, about prosecuting voter fraud cases. And it is really a rare thing. The Heritage Foundation maintains a database of uh, of prosecute successful prosecutions of voter fraud. And they found that less than twelve hundred cases have actually been brought forth and completed 
prosecuting those who vote illegally. You know, that may sound like a big number, but if you think about it, going back to the 2000s, that's only maybe a few dozen cases per state. It's not a whole lot. Uh, now, if you compare that to some studies that have been done on how many non-citizens might be voting, it's actually kind of a, you know, it's, it's a concerning comparison. In 2013, uh, election expert John McLaughlin found that uh, foreign, of foreign-born respondents who are registered to vote, 13% of them admitted they were not U.S. citizens. And this was in a representative sample of the United States. So that's a huge number when you consider how many tens of millions of non-citizens are in the United States right now. And in 2014, in a peer-reviewed study uh, by a team of uh, professors from Old Dominion University and George Mason, they found that approximately 6.4% of non-citizens voted in the 2008 presidential election and just over 2% voted in the 2010 midterm. Now, again, we're talking about a lot of elections, especially midterm elections, congressional elections that can be you know, determined by just a few dozen or a few hundred votes. So if you take that into consideration, some of the close races we've had recently, these are big enough numbers to throw some close contests. Now, it's difficult again to determine if any contests have been you know, impacted by this because there just hasn't been enough uh, effort put into prosecuting illegal voting. But in a report that FAIR has done on these studies that I just mentioned, they found that if you averaged out the totals, it comes out to more, at least more than half a million non-citizens voting in recent presidential elections. The real figure based on some of the work we've done show that it could be millions. It could be more than three million. So that's uh, those are just a few concerning studies that are out there on, on this issue. And just building on some of the cases that Matthew had uh, brought up, in January 2019, they found more than 11,000 non-citizens successfully registered to vote in Pennsylvania. And the same month, nearly 100,000 non-citizens were found on Texas voter rolls. And they successfully tracked uh, these registered voters and found that uh, more than 50,000 of them had voted in at least one election. So these are concerning numbers, and they fully and completely debunk the myth that illegal voting is not a problem, that we just don't need to worry about it. It is a significant issue. And, you know, the federal government needs to be putting more resources into securing our elections, you know, uh, whether it's from illegal voting or voting threats from abroad, just to make sure that we have legitimate elections and that only those who are lawfully allowed to vote do take part in this, you know, very important process that ensures our you know our democracy and our republic are legitimate yeah and i would i would jump on as well saying that you know this is also a significant issue at the state level um because of motor voter laws which um you know for our listeners out there uh who might not know you know a lot of states automatically register you to vote when you get a driver's license and there's no law that prevents non-citizens from not getting driver's licenses, especially legal ones. You know, there are hundreds of thousands of legal immigrants, you know, and non-immigrants, people who are just are just doing business here, or excuse me, who are working here on a non-immigrant visa uh, who have driver's licenses. And at, you know, states that are automatically 
putting these people that are automatically, you know, registering to vote applicants for these things, you know, people slip through the cracks. And when you're, when you're, you know, doling out driver's licenses, you know, hundreds of thousands, possibly millions, you know, over the course of four or five years, some, you know, some of them are going to slip through the cracks. And also there's an educational aspect to this where a lot of non-citizens and particularly people on green cards and, um, you know, other people that are pursuing permanent residence, they are not aware in some cases that you can't vote unless you're a citizen. So when, especially if they go to a, you know, a get out to vote drive or someone knocks on their door and says, Hey, have you registered to vote? You know, they may not know that, right. you know, their status mm-hmm. in the country doesn't allow them to participate in national elections. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, every everyone who comes to the United States, it is on them to make sure they're aware of these things. But of course, it's important that you know, we educate everyone who comes in the, into our nation about, you know, what they can and cannot do, you know, whether it's voting or whether they have the right to work or enroll in school or whatever. You know, it's very important that we, uh, you know, take proactive measures to make sure that our laws are being followed instead of just focusing on prosecution when they're broken. I was going to add to a person's point. I mean, look at the states that are actively passing legislation to hand out driver's licenses to illegal aliens. We have more than 15 states plus D.C. granting driver's licenses to illegal aliens. I mean, a driver's license is the first form of ID for many states to register to vote. I mean, it's it's unbelievable that if you're trying to protect the integrity of these elections, why they're doling out these licenses like this. I mean, it's it's it, in my mind, it's clear. If you want to solve the problem, you got to stop at least with the licenses at first. Mm-hmm. All right. That's great stuff, y'all. I think that's as good a place as any to stop. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and learned something new about why it's so important to safeguard our elections here in the United States. Just a reminder that all of our episodes are available on most media platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can also visit our website, www.fairus.org, and our Twitter page, at Fair Immigration, to access these episodes as well. As a personal favor to the three of us, we ask that you share these podcasts with all your friends and family. We also hope that each and every one of you are continuing to stay safe and sound in these trying times. And remember to get out and vote and to vote legally this November. Until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration presented by FAIR.